three, two, one. Hey, who who's this? Hey, Diwal, it's Sinduja calling you from New York. Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. We have a podcast to do. So, Diwal, it's not just that you're out of town this week. It's that you actually weren't even allowed in the building because once all these important people come on, like the President of the United States and all the other world leaders, that's it. They close the doors to all the outsiders, including our own uncomplicated um, host. And so what we had to do is actually do this call remotely. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm so mad I'm missing High Level Week. Uh, I think maybe this episode you should just tell me all about it. I'm going to have to. It's been pretty exciting. But I think we should probably tell our listeners what they're listening to. This is a great idea. Uh, welcome, everybody. You've just tuned in to uh, Uncomplicated. We're coming to you from the United Nations headquarters here in New York City. The United Nations can seem intimidating and complicated. Uh, but we're here to make it accessible and straightforward. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jason Dewall. And I'm Sinduja Srinivasan. And, and together we are, we are the, the Uncomplicators. <laughs> so before you left, Dewall, we, we actually did our usual sort of wandering around talking to people who we ran into, right? Which were very good at wandering around and were very good at- I was gonna say, let's frame this as we did some very calculated research. Oh, that's true. We, we prepared. Well, this is a yeah. really good opportunity uh, to talk about Natalie Copen and Liz Kluvers, our new friends of the podcast uh, from the Netherlands. Yeah, that's right. The concept of, of communication and the, the signal that you're putting out there, the signal versus the signal that's being received, was perfectly encapsulated in their own experience of popping into the General Assembly, right? And seeing seeing the GA in action a little bit. Yeah, let's hear them talk about it because I, that was the, my favorite part of the interview as well. Well, we had a sneak peek um, in the uh, the other room where we can, I think, I think this is this room. The General Assembly. Yeah, that room. <laughs> We're excited. Yeah. <laughs> we had a sneak peek there in the hallway, and um, we saw every card with uh, different countries, and uh, someone from Canada was speaking, so everyone was listening, and suddenly someone from China was speaking, and everything, everyone gets a headphone off, and we thought, whoa, what's happening? And then we yeah. saw that someone from China was going to speak, so, yeah. So that made sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really fun to see, actually. So they actually got to see interpretation in action, which was pretty cool. It's pretty rare, actually, yeah. for people, yeah, who who take a tour. And yeah, like they said, they were very lucky. They were fortunate to just stumble upon that moment. And what they were talking about there when they said, you know, um, somebody somebody was speaking in in Mandarin, and and so therefore all of the headsets went on. Whenever you're sitting in a room in the General Assembly, whatever meeting room, um, there next to each chair is this little um, this little microphone or this little headset, rather. And it's plugged in to, um, you know how when you're in, a, in an airplane and you can kind of change the channel and the volume, those old school airplanes, um, that's exactly what it is at the General Assembly or in any of these, these high level meetings. You can change the channel to whatever language you want to listen in and then you can obviously change the volume as well. And so you can see people constantly taking on and off these headpieces as, as different speakers are speaking in a language they understand or, or not. That's a great picture that you've painted, and it shows that there's a, a massive undertaking to make sure that uh, 
the communication is 100% accurate. Right. Between these 193 countries, which, you know, this is this is the time where we need where it's so crucial that communication is clear and understood and direct. And so there are these six official languages of the U.N., which are English, French, Spanish, Mandarin, Arabic and Russian. All right. So I have a question off of that then. So because there's these six main languages, uh-huh. do you interpret in other languages? And how big is like an interpretation team, like in a meeting? Is so, it just six people for all six languages? How does that work? I was doing a little bit of, of research because I got so excited about the idea of interpretation. It turns out that when you have all six languages being spoken at a, at a UN meeting, that actually requires 14 interpreters. The reason for that is that um, people are translating into specific languages and those people are then translating back out. And and during the year, when the kind of typical high-level meetings are not happening, the UN actually needs more than 120 interpreters on a regular basis to interpret over the six official languages of the United Nations. But during the General Assembly, things are so busy and things are happening simultaneously that they hire extra just to be able to have enough staff on hand to make sure that communication is flawless between the different countries and the different leaders. We actually got to speak with an interpreter, Anna Demanuel, and uh, she's going to tell us exactly how interpretation works at the United Nations. Let's hear it. What we do here is called simultaneous interpretation because we, we use uh, equipment so that we have headphones on, we have a console in front of us with a microphone, and uh, when we're working, we switch on the microphone and listen to the, uh, uh, the speech process that first sentence in our heads, repeat it in the other language, listen to ourselves to make sure that we got it right. And at the same time that we're doing these four steps of listen, process, repeat, and check, we're doing the next sentence Mm. all at the same time. So it's a major multitasking. The pathway to to get uh, to be a UN interpreter is um, is pretty steep. Tell we, us about that. Every so often, uh, the different language uh, sections of the interpretation service will will convene a competitive examination, and what that consists of is testing the people who are already uh, interpreters to see whether they can work to the standard of uh, the. United Nations uh, Interpretation Service. What we have to have is split-second accuracy, mm. as well as uh, clear and precise delivery. We, we have to be able to repeat ex- the message exactly, not leave anything out, mm-hmm. so that there's no room for doubt, and so that communication is smooth and seamless. So when I took the exam, which was uh, back in uh, 2005, there were over 300 people who took the exam, and uh, as far as I know, um, less than 10 people passed. Wow. Yeah. And what the exam consisted of was, uh, was just uh, regular speeches from, uh, the, from delegates uh, at the General Assembly or at the Third Committee uh, or at the Second Committee, which deal with the d- different subjects. The Third Committee, for example, is all social. So the speech uh, that I got was from um, one member of the third committee who was an extremely fast speaker. Uh, She spoke so quickly that uh, she would just rattle off the words one after the other like a machine gun. And then she would stop and draw breath and you would hear her go. (sighs) 
and then and then she would start off again. Ta -ta 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 -ta. The whole thing was to make sure if you took this exam and you could deliver at that speed, that you wouldn't get rattled, mm. that you wouldn't uh, be, uh, that you wouldn't feel that you couldn't do it because mm. of the speed. Uh, because what you have to do when it's that fast is sort of pull back and with a defense mechanism that some of my colleagues have is to speak very slowly. Mm. They try uh, to try not to parrot what the speaker is saying, but to pull back and maybe summarize, not, not exactly summarize, but make sure that you get the whole message, but try and filter out all of those, all of that very staccato, very hectic uh, style de of delivery. If you don't get it right, yeah. is there a process? Uh, what happens then? All right, let's say that I, I left out one word. Mm -hmm. There's a, four adjectives. This great, big, green, uh, deep-reaching revolution. And I forgot one word. I forgot green. Either I can just forget about the word because everything is going by so fast. Uh, be, because people are speaking not just at normal speed. There is some kind of time pressure as well. Because very yeah. often there's a time limit, like this morning people were supposed to speak for two minutes and they would speak for five. And then to make up for the fact that they only had two minutes, they would just speak as quickly as possible so that you could hardly understand the way they did. <laughs> and, you know, you know, they were just firing it off. And you, you have to keep up with that. So sometimes uh, you, you lose one or two words. But if you get something really wrong, let, let's say the speaker said, uh, and uh, I vehemently oppose any kind of restriction. And, and uh, for some reason, you put your foot in and you go, I, uh, I strongly support any kind of restriction. Or rather, I correct myself, I vehemently <laughs> you can. Ah, okay. you, you have to do that okay. sometimes. Because uh, there's another thing going on. Uh, all of this is being interpreted into six languages. Right. We, ha we have six working languages. Uh, and uh, these are Arabic, Chinese, uh, English, French, Russian, and Spanish. And uh, I don't think that there's a single member of the interpretation service who speaks all six languages mm. to the level that is needed to be able to interpret from five of the languages into the sixth one. So the way it works in practice is that uh, if somebody speaks, let's say French, um, many, uh, many of the colleagues uh, understand French and they can use it as a source language. So that's fine. They just listen directly to the French speaker and interpret into their languages. But when it comes to Spanish, uh, Russian, Chinese, and Arabic, something different happens. Uh, the first thing is that if the speaker is speaking Chinese, it's only the Chinese interpreters who interpret that speaker into English. Okay. It's a chain of languages. It, yeah, exactly. A, yes. What what I'm uh, what I'm telling you about is something called relay. It uh, it's like uh, it's like the game of telephone. You know, when when you repeat what you heard yeah. to somebody else, and and in fact, when I uh, when I went to a high school in Queens to tell the kids about the, the the UN, I asked them, "How many languages do you speak?" Well, this is Queens, you know, and this is New York, and we're we're pretty multicultural here. So they uh, the kids there spoke seven different languages, and. I made them form sets, and they had to repeat the sentence and pass it on from the beginning to the end of the line. And it was a very simple sentence. Ban Ki-moon, that is our secretary general, the, the secretary of the general yeah. of the United Nations. I mean, I thought this was pretty simple. <laughs> when we got to the other, to, to the other end, 
uh, the sentence had become, I am the Secretary General of the United Nations. <laughs> so, oh, well, they had ambition. Those kids had ambition, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they did have ambition, but they lost the message, <laughs> one of the key elements in the of the message along the way. This is how we do it. For example, when, uh, when somebody speaks Spanish, uh, I interpret into English. And then I look at my console, and I see all of the other languages. And I see a minus sign up here. And this means that what they're doing is they're listening to me, mm -hmm. to the English, and then going into their language, okay. into Arabic, Chinese, okay. uh, Spanish. Um, no, not Spanish, what am I saying? Into Arabic, Chinese, uh, French, or, or Russian. Russian. So it's doubly simultaneously translated then? Yes, it is. It's, uh, some, some languages are filtered through English, other languages are filtered through French, okay. uh, but we try to keep that to a minimum. Mm. But in some cases, we do have to do it. It sounds to me, because of this is a basically a chain of languages, mm -hmm. the analogy I would use is in sports. Some people sort of just work together better, whatever the sport may be. Do you have certain colleagues that you find it's easier to interpret and create the chain with, where you've worked together for so long, you sort of know each other well, and that seems to help? Or does it really not matter who the person is that you're working with? If you're talking about sports, I would, I, I would think of it as a combination of a relay race and synchronized swimming. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, because uh, synchronized swimming, because we're all trying to pass on the same message uh, in in different languages. And we, we have to follow the speaker very closely so that we finish speaking not too long after they do. Yeah. Because uh, sometimes uh, the people chairing the meeting are hardly conscious of the fact that there's interpretation. So they, they, uh, they don't make an allowance for uh, the interpreters to catch up. Mm -hmm. They just keep on going. Uh, it sounds to me like that would be the goal, like at the end of a meeting, if people don't even realize or think twice about the interpretation, that means that, that you have had a successful day. Right? Exactly. Because that means that it's been working. It's been working because we've been we've been helping with the communication so much so that they don't even notice that we're there. That's nice, but it's nicer when they when when they tell us thank you for all the effort <laughs> you made. Imagine. <laughs> Just hearing about you talk about this job is is draining for me. I mean, I used to live in Chile, and when I, I spoke Spanish, uh, I, wor I was working in Spanish. And so I remember for the first six months that I was living there, I was just exhausted at the end of every day mm -hmm. trying to um, translate from English to Spanish. And after a few months, then I stabilized. So how long are you able to do this simultaneous translation for in a typical day? How many, uh, how many hours do you, do you work? Uh, well, normally we get assigned uh, to um, a three-hour meeting, okay. and we we work in teams of two, and in in most of the in most of the languages, uh, the way it works is that one interpreter interprets for half an hour, and uh, the 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 other one takes over and does an, uh, another half hour, and then the first one goes back on. Okay, that that's how it works in in all of the booths except for English and French. In English and French, we just sit there the whole time. Uh, the, the way it works uh, in, in the English booth is that if somebody speaks Spanish, uh, I have to interpret. If somebody speaks Russian, my colleague has to interpret. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And if it's French, we 
uh, we, we share it uh, equally. And with the French booth, uh, it, it also works like that. There's one person who, who does all the Spanish into French and another person who does all the Russian into French. Okay. Do you have a different personality based on the language that you're speaking? Have you noticed that? I think I have several personalities according to, to the language I speak. I notice that when I speak German, everything is, is very... Very precise, mm -hmm. very orderly, very neat, and it, it ha everything has to be just so. Uh, maybe it's a function of German, uh, of German grammar or something. And when I speak French, I'm a lot more profane <laughs> than I am in English. <laughs> it doesn't seem to pe take people aback as much. Uh, or, or maybe it's, um, it's a function of, of the language itself. I don't really know. Or, or maybe it's because I, I just learned it uh, to, to speak it from, from hearing other people speak it. From the streets, yeah. so to speak. So, Sinduja, my first thought I had during that interview was, I, was this. I became very self-conscious about the way I was speaking while interviewing Anna because she speaks so precisely and so clearly. It was unnerving to me. I know. She's so deliberate. It really... It was kind of masterful, right, how she has such control and how precisely she uses her language, which is not surprising because she is an interpreter after all. But it, it was quite beautiful to see. Yes. And once you once she continued to speak about language and really about cultures and people from different countries and the importance of that communication and the importance of getting it right, um, I just I loved everything about that interview. I actually got to see her in action at one of the high-level events, which was pretty exciting. Well, how was that? What, what was that about? It, it was great. It was the event on universal health care coverage that happened on the Monday of high-level week, September 23rd. It was really special. Did you have any observations on her job specifically? Like, can you were you able to see sort of this relay interpretation? Or in uh, looking back, can you tell which type was happening in that moment? So I was, I do always look up at the interpreter windows. It's like a play within a play almost when I'm, when I'm at these events and these meetings. And um, I didn't notice the, the chain or the relay interpretation, but I did, I did kind of get to see how people were um, kind of leaning over a little bit to see who was speaking. I could see them switching in and out after about half an hour, like she was saying, because it is quite taxing to, to sit there and, concentrate so deeply on on the words. I, I was glad that you asked that question because uh, that's something I had not thought about. But what a mentally draining uh, task. The first thing I thought of was when you go to a casino in Las Vegas, the dealers get breaks every 20 to 30 minutes because they're doing constant simple math <laughs> and it is draining. So they have to get off their feet, kind of relax. Imagine trying to interpret at light speed in real time, right? Right. And on these high, kind of high level, so sensitive and, and important um, issues. Actually, math and language are, are occupy the same part of the brain. So it's, it's not surprising that you'd take 30 minutes um, after dealing or 30 minutes after languages. Now you're just showing off, Sinduja. <laughs> Stop it. And so this discussion uh, with Ana D'Emmanuel, uh, a, a, one of the best interpreters in the world, is a great segue into uh, an episode we're going to be doing over throughout the rest of the season, which is with the Office of Outer Space Affairs and communication in space, right? Right, because the UN actually has text ready for when humans encounter beings from another planet. I mean, talk about being prepared. 
Yes, and I know every time we talk about the next episodes, this is the one I bring up. Um, we're going to share, let's share with the audience what the whole season is roughly going to look like. Uh, maybe not in this order because we're working on all the episodes at the same time. But uh, I am obviously excited about the one with, with the Office of Outer Space Affairs. And then uh, we have a great episode that we're lining up on peacekeeping. I think there's a chance that you will see get to see a picture of us in Blue Helmets, possibly. I know, yeah. So that's going to be very exciting. That episode will be great. And why not talk about peacekeeping? It is the literal reason why the UN was founded, exactly. right? Maintain exactly. peace and security. Exactly. I think the other thing that we're, we were talking about, which is especially now that we're at, you know, we're in the GA, we're in the thick of it. And in our last episode, one of the things we mentioned was one country, one vote, which is, you know, one of the reasons why the GA is so special. But countries do have different relationships with the UN. Some are lower income, some um, do have, you know, different stages of development. And there's actually a ceremony, a graduation ceremony that a group of countries, which are called the least developed countries, actually have as they move out of this low income status into the next sort of stage of economic development. I think it's a very lovely and sweet idea to recognize that countries are making progress in their economic development. And so we're going to have a whole episode about what this graduation ceremony means, what are the different stages, how do you know that you're getting ready to graduate, right? I mean, do you get credits? Is it like high school? I, it, my hope is that there's also graduation cake. Maybe there's a oh, celebration. Yes. And we get to and, throw hats. Uh, oh, perfect. In all seriousness, like when we started digging into this and talking about the process, and it doesn't happen all the time. No. Right? So talking about an example and going through that example with a certain country will be fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, just you said it doesn't happen all the time. It really doesn't. Only five countries have graduated from LDC or least developed country status since 1971 when the category was formed. Um, but in the next five years, another five countries are going to graduate. And so we're at actually a really interesting and exciting time for for some of these least developed countries in the world. And then I think we're going to leave it up to you guys, right, in the audience, as to what you want to hear for our last two episodes of the season. We want all you of gotta your You've got to give the people what they want, Sinduja. We want your, all of your suggestions. Email us and, and let us know what you want to hear about, because we are absolutely ready and willing to tell you those stories from the United Nations. Yeah, I think that's a wrap, everybody. Well, hey, thanks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Uncomplicated and our theme music, which is written by Signal and Report. Don't forget to send us your episode suggestions. You can email us at contactnewscenter.un.org or better yet, just tweet us at UN News with hashtag Uncomplicated. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon, everybody. Ciao.